Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. And we realize that whenever Reformation has happened in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, things are really starting to get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way to our modest goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. If you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com backslash the messy reformation. You can also support us by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the messy reformation. Also, let them know about our newest announcement, the Hall of Tyrannus. We're really excited about this new opportunity to disciple reformers for the CRCNA. Make sure you check out our first discipleship course on created sexuality that begins in November. If you'd like more information on this, head on over to themessyreformation.com and look for the Hall of Tyrannus. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Eric Van Dyken. So, Eric, why don't you kick us off, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your family, and the church you're at. Very good. Yeah, my name is Eric Van Dyken. I'm married to Sarah Van Dyken. She was a um, native of the Phoenix area, comes from a dairy family down there, some of the Dutch dairymen in the in the greater Phoenix Valley down there. Uh, we met at Dort College. Um, I have lived the majority of my life in Prinsburg, Minnesota. That's where we are right now. We had a short um, stint in Phoenix after college in the early early to mid-90s and um, settled back home here in Prinsburg, Minnesota. Small little town of about 500 people in west central Minnesota, out uh, straight west of the Twin Cities um, in Classis, Minn Kota. Um, We have four children, um, two of which are married and live near here and uh, have three grandchildren um, with through them. And uh, another son is down in Sioux Center, um, engaged to be married this coming spring to a lovely young lady from Sioux Center. And then uh, child number four is our daughter, our lone daughter. She is currently a junior at Dort College or University, I should say. Old habits die hard. And um, so uh, that's that's our family. We really enjoy having the as many kids as we can around, which is not unique to us and love having the grandkids around. And so I, our church, I am a member and an elder in first Christian reformed church of Prinsburg, one of two CRCs in Prinsburg. There's a daughter church, um, unity CRC, which is in the same classes that Willie's in. Um, and um, we used to be in that classes and uh, changed to classes Minn Kota a number of years ago, um, pretty much 
not solely, but mostly around the issue of a um, women's ordination, women in, in ecclesiastical office. And um, it's been probably a good fit for us there in, in Minn Kota. Not there aren't, there aren't things that you leave when you leave a, a classes and some um, affiliations that you really enjoy, but uh, it has enabled us, I think, to serve um, in cleaner conscience in the CRC. Yeah, amen. So have you grown up in Prinsburg your whole life or have you kind of been all over the place? No, I did grow up in, in Prinsburg. Um, my dad was a school teacher here in the Christian school, taught uh, junior high Bible, math, and science. And so I grew up kind of in a, you know, with that teacher's mindset always. always my, so my dad taught me a lot. And then I learned a lot from my grandpa, who was a pastor. So my dad moved around a lot, mostly in the Canadian context. And then, um, but I had a very stable uh, upbringing in this little small town. And uh, I'm kind of prone to small town living. I like the pace of life in a small town. Uh, I like the kind of people you find in a small town often. Um, and uh, life in the big city of Phoenix was a little uh, challenging and overwhelming for me, um, demographically and uh, climatologically a little bit as well. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, I couldn't handle Phoenix. No way. <laughs> I'm, I'm a Midwest boy through and through. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So you already alluded, you know, we, we typically interview pastors, but that's not solely what we do. So you're an elder there. So, so what do you do for a living in Prinsburg? Um, I work in the county seat of Wilmer and I am the county zoning administrator. So I'm regulatory by nature with a natural resource background. My, my degree in DORT is in biology. And so I regulate land use and natural resource management here at the, at the county level. And um, so I'm, I'm the guy that shows up, says I'm from the government, I'm here to help. And yeah. but it does, uh, I mean, it gives me an interesting perspective, I think, on uh, certain things, um, certainly some human nature things. Um, uh, we like to say that zoning law or land use law is, is the law that nobody wants applied to them, but everybody wants applied to their neighbor. Now, maybe nope. that's most the law in general. I don't, that could be the case too, but um, for sure, people don't like to want to be told to do on their land, but very, very quick to say, how can my neighbor do that? Um, so it's a it's a study in in human nature a little bit, and uh, but it it has taught me, and I've been able to use a lot of what I've learned in um, in my work in the church because I, frankly, when I was younger, um, you know, you could say I was a period of time, even though I grew up Calvinist and Reformed, you might say I was a little too. Um, I was a cage stage, you know, essentially in my younger years, I didn't listen well, frankly, I didn't. Mm -hmm. um, and my work has in, in conjunction with my, my life in the church has taught me to listen better. Um, mm -hmm. Still a work in progress for me to be sure. Um, you know, God is always forming and fashioning us. Um, but definitely in my work, I've learned to listen and, um, how to seek compromise and, and, and it's how to seek ways to move forward together. Um, not that you can compromise everything, of course, but um, it certainly has helped me in my life in the church, be a better, be a better elder. And um, I'm thankful for that. Yeah. And I know, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're a passionate elder and you're passionate about churches and classes get and denomination, getting elders more involved in, in what we're doing. And so um, on the one hand, I'd like to just know, um, kind of what have been your joys of being an elder in your church recently? And then uh, after that, if you want to talk about some thoughts you have for churches and classes and the denomination, how we can get elders more involved. 
Well, one of our joys has been that we, after three years of vacancy, we um, that God provided us with a, a pastor. And so that's been certainly yeah. a joy coming through mm -hmm. COVID without a pastor was maybe in some ways a blessing, um, maybe in other ways, uh, you know, certainly a challenge. It, it certainly challenged us as office bearers. And that's good. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. a big, as, as you kind of alluded to, I'm a big believer that office bearers how to really be active and visible in the, in the church. And, um, you know, my, struggling to do that you know rightly into god's glory but certainly um not shrinking from from the duties we've been called to and so one of those joys has been um having pastor greg timmer come to our our church we um pulled him out of kalamazoo in in michigan and so we're thankful to have him here um preparing for synod i think in a local context was a joy and a challenge um, and, and to see the congregation respond to some of what we tried to communicate as elders was was um joyful um i think coming out of synod some of the or excuse me coming out of covid some of the challenges about membership um we haven't had it as bad as maybe some churches but but every church i think experienced some of some members um marginalizing themselves a bit and so mm -hmm how to in a pastoral way come alongside them and and and, and pull them back in to a more active um, life in the church and then also um i think one of the things that the crc has used to be better at and is probably really strong in some areas and we've waxed and waned on frankly in our churches house visitation or or house bazook or whatever um <laughs> and uh you know to me i'm i really believe that it's so important for elders to be in their people's homes to know their people to hear their concerns their joys um and uh to look them in the eye and tell them that we love them that we value them that they're part of the body and and so there's been some challenge um you know in in kind of reinvigorating that i think um it, you know in our local church and i'm not trying to put our church out there to for criticism as much as just i don't i don't know that we're alone in some of that challenge no. um and frankly you know it's i i start with myself i you know i've always the first the first word is uh, that I need to look at ways that I can serve better, better always. So that's, um, that's some of the joys and challenges I've been seeing. Yeah. Eric, along with that, I mean, as Jason kind of alluded to, we, we primarily uh, have been interviewing ministers in the Christian reformed church. I'm wondering for you as an elder, how did you know that that was an office and a role that God was calling you to at, at this point in your life? Well, God so often uses others um, to call, and we we try to listen and answer. You know, I was I was influenced a lot by my, you know my dad's very active life in the church. You know, and so dad was always a teacher in the home, not just in the school. And and my dad was you know president of council at a pretty young age, sometime in his early to mid forties. And so I always observed um, that that was a natural. Uh, part of church life was to be called upon to serve and to answer that that call and you know i often re remember the scriptural passage of you know here am i send me and and mm -hmm. of course that has limits and we need to recognize that we have our limitations and it isn't always have to be send me because there's plenty of other people that can work too but i try to be one who's slow to say no when called on to serve um and so yeah i've and then 
certain things that God has placed inside me as, as a burning desire, um, I think I can't deny. And, and sometimes when I try to step back, I just can't, I get the spirit pushes me forward and, and, and I have to be careful. I, I can always, not every burning is, is from the spirit, but, um, um, to the extent that we can honor God in those, we, we, we want to recognize that the spirit does give us promptings and gives us, um, urgings. So I've tried to answer those. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking as you were saying that I was thinking of, I think it's Jeremiah that says something like I tried to keep quiet, but there was a burning in my bones and I couldn't, you know, and there's this, there is something that God puts in us where you, you know, uh, you can't say no to certain things. And sometimes, yes, that does feel like it get, it's getting you in trouble and trying to do that balance. But, uh, but I've seen that in you too, just as an elder that, um, that, you know, God has given you the gifting and the passion to do it and to, and to do it well. So yeah, I appreciate that about you. What, uh, what ways I had asked this a while ago, I should have only asked one of these questions, but what ways uh, do you encourage churches to get their elders involved? You'd mentioned house visits and stuff, but uh, help pastors who are listening to this and congregates who are listening to this to get their, their elders kind of involved in the church, but also classically in the classist level and even the denominational level. How, what ways can we do better at that? I would say the first thing is probably starts with with awareness. And, and this is where balance can be so hard. And I confess that I don't always do that balance properly. I sometimes get a little too obsessed with, with um, denominational things. And I have to pull myself back and say, God's called you to minister first in your local congregation. But I think at a minimum, we have to be, we have to care enough to keep our eyes open and our ears, our ears to the ground a little bit. And sometimes that just means knowing a couple regular places to check in um, and see, hey, what's the, what's the tenor uh, of what's going on? What are some places where I can, I can, um, you know, put my antennae up a little bit and get a feel for. And then that, that leads to, um, a greater awareness of, okay, in the local congregation, what do I have to be aware of that my people might be exposed to? Um, and how can we be effective in communicating and, you know, maybe talking to the pastor pastorally um, about, you know, certain messages um, that can be, or certain emphases that can come from the pulpit at times when it's appropriate um, in, in the text. Um, and so just that awareness, I think, goes a long, long ways um, in caring enough to not pull back totally into a shell. And I get it. Not every elder, every office bearer is called to the exact same role. It's one of my joys is being in the council room is that you look around and you say, God has really gifted you for this and you're doing it. And that's wonderful. Um, but I think there's a, there is a broad call, at least certainly for elders uh, um, to be pretty aware of what's, what's going on. And so that awareness, I think leads to all sorts of opportunity then to serve, um, and to be involved and to formulate thoughts, um, so that your church is a, a church, um, um, that is, uh, engaged in the denomination. And then I would say the, the other thing would be as elders never hesitate to communicate to your congregation early and often about things that are you're pondering, things that are concerning to you, things that you're rejoicing in. Um, communication is so so key, I think, in our in our um, pastoral elder type of roles. Yeah, yeah, and even uh, myself, one of the things I've been trying to do just as a pastor is I've I've been trying to help my elders see that. 
that as the pastor, I am just a fellow elder. I'm not like the main elder. I'm not the the chief honcho. Like I'm just one of you guys. And we're in, all in this together as elders. And I think there's kind of been this, I don't know how long it's been going, probably from like the church growth movement, you have the head honcho and the CEO guy. And now the pastor was that. And I've been, and so the elders were looking to the pastor saying, you just tell us what to do, or you just do the thing. And we're here to support you. And I'm trying to say, no, 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 we're all in this. We're all pastors. I'm just an elder. I'm a teaching elder is really who I am. Um, Let's figure out how to do this together. And so even just kind of reframing that in our congregation is really hard. And and even amongst council members, it's really hard. Have you experienced that too, a little bit in Prinsburg? Yeah, to a degree. I, although I would say we've, we have been fairly um, um, purposeful about trying to avoid that. And, and God has give, gifted us with pastors that are not the types generally that would say, hey, here I am, follow me. You guys just, you know, I'm here to be the face of the church. Um, so so we've been purposeful and God has given us pastors that have, you know, taken that same type of role. And I think that's one thing where in the labeling where, where the Presbyterians can, they kind of have a little up on us in that, yeah, it, it automatically levels it more when you say, well, we're all elders. Some mm-hmm. are affirming, uh, some are a little different function and teaching, you know, in the public teaching ministry. Um, but but then again, we're all have to be given to teach, right? We're all, we all need to have that to a degree, but um, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think it's, it's important in so many ways. We talk about this current, the CRC is talking a lot about abuse of power and in some contexts and culturally, certainly rightly so. And one of the big protections on that is staying out of that kind of cult of celebrity or that that sort of hero worship of a, of a pastor or pedestalizing you know where the pastor can do no wrong and that we don't want to be hypercritical but we also don't want to have a um bunch of churches that are fashioned around personalities and stuff because then yeah that temptation is ah he's doing such good work uh we can't you know we don't we don't like this accountability or and that kind of thing so um and then it also shields the pastor's pastoral ministry when they don't have to be the face of difficult decisions and stuff and i've commented in a few places recently when i i see some things about how pastors were so at odds with their congregation through covid and i I keep hearing this this theme of well the pastor said this and the pastor decided this and i'm thinking the pastor decided by himself these things it doesn't to me it doesn't comport with how i know um, and understand church, and, and I think it can really lead to unhealthy things. And there, you've seen some of it. Congregations push back, and maybe unfairly so at times. And then the pastor's stuck there, owning this big decision or whatever as their own, when it really should be elders saying, "No, it, in the plurality of elders, in the multitude of counselors, we sat and we made this decision, and we as elders will." you know, we'll defend these, these decisions or talk about them or own these decisions. And it's not a, the pastor's thing to be responsible for alone. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I've had to, I've had to work out that quite a bit in our church, just as, uh, as different decisions have been made and people have been unhappy with certain decisions. They're like, well, you did this. And I was like, no, <laughs> this is not me. Sometimes council makes even, you know, sometimes council makes decisions that I disagree with, but I'm, <laughs> I'm one of many. And so, uh, but we're all in this together. And so it's not just me. I'm part of the council. Yes. So I'm responsible. I'm not trying to shirk responsibility, but it's, 
it's all of us together making this decision and that's that's important but it's easy to pick it's easy to point your finger at one person and kind of make them the the enemy and so i wonder you know sometimes some people just automatically do that and then sometimes it's because the pastor takes on that persona um and uh and so they kind of put themselves out there and say here i am and then um yeah which isn't helpful either uh, one of the, one of the questions i've been i've been wondering about eric as 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 you've been kind of doing ministry in your local context uh what are some of the like big cultural challenges you're seeing in the church right now that we need to overcome probably not enough vikings fans <laughs> well you know since we have minnesota wisconsin here we won't talk about the first game of the year but i'm i'm not a big vikings guy but i I don't mind gloating for a second if I can, but um, so, you know, to me, I would talk maybe two ways, broadly, culturally, I think our churches and our people are not immune, and I'll start with myself, I and and people I know are not immune to the, the phenomenon of North American or certainly American individualism. Um, and, and here's where I'm going to work in a little bit of what I've learned in trying to listen well to social justice advocates. Um, while they may have an individualized theology of maybe sexuality and some of those things, they have a communal understanding of life together that they emphasize differently than what I might at times, but they offer an important corrective to the North American model of I got mine. Um, you you're you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And I mean, as the body, we are inherently um, a communal um, entity. The body of Christ is, and mm-hmm. we're called to be that more broadly in in culture and society as well. That we're not to look aside at suffering. Um, and so there's there's a there's a corrective there that I think is good for us to hear from the social justice advocates that, again, we may differ in how we then springboard from there, but I think if we don't listen well, we will we can tend to fall into those individualistic um, viewpoints, and that is the driving cultural um, phenomenon, I think, that, that presses in on the church on a lot of fronts, you know, not just on this idea of I have an individualized ethic of sexuality, but I also you know, on the, maybe more on the right, right wing side, we have this maybe individualized idea of how we exist um, in a, in an autonomous bubble, um, you know, and, and God has provided for me and good luck with yours sort of a thing. Yeah. So um, culturally that, that I think is, a, is huge and it impacts all, all people, not always in the same way, but um, I think culturally in the CRC, and I'll say in our local local context, we're we're fighting a culture maybe of um, of resting in our heritage to a degree. I I'm a big believer personally and and um, institutionally that a lot of times our best gift, our greatest asset, can be our downfall or, as well. It can be our Achilles heel. And so I mean, I look try to look at myself personally, and some of the things that God has built into me. I use in ways that aren't always constructive. I mean, they can be the things that get me in trouble. You know, I'm quick to speak. Um, God has given me the ability to speak on some things, but I'm too quick to speak sometimes. Um, So that from a personal angle, but the CRC is gifted with a heritage, but 
what can happen is at times we become churches where we in little insular communities of well of course we're believers we've always we're, the, we're this we're, we're this is what's been passed down to us and so instead of really loving it um you know last night we had a guest pastor um and he or yesterday morning, excuse me, we had a guest pastor and he preached on uh, the letter to the church in Ephesus, you know, who lost their first love. And I think that can maybe sometimes be a descriptor of our churches that have, well, we're checking the boxes here, you know, you, I, you've done this well, you've kept up the false teachers, you do these things, but where, where is your evidence of being a spirit-led church that has a real passion and fire and love for the Lord. Um, and that can get lost sometimes in our just clinging to our identity as they, well, we're the church that's always been here. We are the church of being solid. Um, so I think that's a cultural trapping for us, a gift on one hand, a challenge and a trapping on the other. Yeah, it's like uh, the, the gift part of it is we have this strong foundation that we can stand on, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the trapping is that we just stand on it like one of those monks that sits at the top of the pole and doesn't do anything, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we can, we can sit and just look around and I don't know. I, yeah. We just like, well, we're, we're good enough. Right. I, I've kind of come against that over and over again, where we're like, well, we're, yeah, this is, this is who we are. We're good enough. We've got this foundation. We're, we're fine, but we've, yeah, we've lost a little bit of that passion and yet, uh, one of the things I've been reflecting on lately is, um, you know, I, we all, I think we all go through these seasons of life, right. Where we have moments where we're like really on fire and we have other moments where we're maybe a little like lackluster or whatever. We kind of go up and down, right. Our whole life is that way, even pastors. And so, um, and I was reading some of my old journals a long time ago. And I remember, um, thinking like, man, I was just on fire for the Lord. I was just passionate and, and maybe I've lost some of that. I don't know. And, and I came across some of those old journals and was reading through that. And I remember reading through that, just shaking my head and like, man, that was like just total immature, like puppy dog love, like not, not mature passion. Right. And so it's kind of one of those things that morphs over the years too. And so I think there's always this balance. I try to tell people like there is just a lovelessness, kind of a lack of passion. That's kind of, that reeks of death, but there's a, there's a type of mature type of love that looks really different, right? Like mm -hmm. the way I love my wife now after 20 years is very different from the first couple of years when we were dating. Right. And so, um, yeah, trying to, trying to get the difference between a, a, what a mature love and passion is for Christ or, or when that's just faded and it's just kind of become standing on our laurels. Yeah, for sure. And, and it takes a lot of wisdom to know what that, that looks like. And, and we'll all confess that we won't fully know what it looks like here below, but um, yeah, you're right. It, and some of that I think is, you know, that's what you're referencing there is some of that passion that maybe comes after like a youth group, uh, you know, mission trip somewhere and kids come back and they go, Oh, it was so good for their spiritual walk. And, it, um, and they come back kind of on fire and that have sort of, sort of that thing. And it fades a little bit. I, I love mission trips for kids, but I'm, I'm hesitant. And I'm, I, I like the work trips a little bit more because I, I think kids are at a stage in life when they can handle what they're learning from that a little bit more than ones that are really saturated in maybe sometimes an emotionalized um, spiritual high sort of thing. And they begin to feel that that's the spiritual walk. But yeah, sometimes we look back and go, oh, I, re I remember some of those times. And 
I've hopefully settled into a better rhythm of passion um, properly understood and maybe properly channeled. Yeah, uh, I, we always start when Willie and I did youth ministry together. We started off every retreat with I had this spiel that I gave and based off of uh, Bonhoeffer's book Life Together, where he actually says retreat settings are actually a hindrance to true community because it's taking community out of its natural. It's making this idealized sense of community where you think, wow, this is great. And then you go back into the real world and you're like, oh, this stinks. And he's like, no, community happens in the real world. Mm -hmm. And so it's actually these retreats can be a hindrance. And so, yeah, we would try to set the tone with our youth group and try to actually schedule like organize our retreat so that we didn't create some weird idealized setting because mm -hmm. um i think i've experienced this i remember experiencing this as a teenager uh, where you get on this retreat and everybody's like this is great we're all just sitting around like talking and singing and praising <laughs> jesus all the time this is what life should be like and then it's like no you actually have to go to your job and work you have to like you have to run into people that you don't like and you don't enjoy and you have to deal with them like real that's real life and we have to learn how to do uh, community in those types of settings as well mm -hmm, for sure yeah, and that's probably, that kind of ties back to some of that individualism you were talking about, right? We can get these individualized retreats that kind of push us all together and give us what we want individually. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Bonhoeffer's saying, no, it's not about you. You need, for, real community is messy and, and dirty and grimy. And, you know, we we see that in the in the Christian Reformed Church right now, right? They're like, the community that we got here, it's a stinking mess, and our churches are a mess, and trying to trying to kind of play that out. One of, one of the things that, that popped into my mind as you were talking about um, this tension, I think we all get it. I don't think we want to just blame like progressives for being inconsistent on like holding an individualized, because I think we see that, right? They have this individualized idea of sexuality, but a communal idea of social justice, right? Mm -hmm. um, what what ways do you, how do, how do you think we get to a place where we kind of become so inconsistent in these areas, not, not just progressives. I think conservatives make those same mistakes too, but. Hmm. Well, um, I, th it's, it's probably more, no more complicated than it's, it's simply, it's our nature to worship ourselves. Um, you know, in, in, in the garden, really what Adam and Eve did is to say, we'll put ourselves on the throne and make that judgment. And so we tend to want to put ourselves on the throne. And, and um, when we do that, we try to, we pick and choose, right? And so we need constant correctives to that. That's one of the reasons why the rhythm of, of worship and the rhythm of the, the Lord's day and, and the rest that God gives us, is just so such a grace because we're, we don't naturally maintain a sense of, um, right balance in that we need to constantly return to the cross we need to constantly be preached to um you know, have the gospel applied and um yeah I, culturally we get influenced by the people we're around the types of errors we'll embrace right so we we tend to think like the people that are around us you know the parents that raise us the community that raised us and then we tend to mimic some of their errors and their weak spots. That's why listening to each other in the church is so important and keeping voices around us that aren't just yes and amen to everything that we say or do um, that are 
let's think about that together, brother or sister. Um, mm -hmm. And then we provide better correctives. Now, the challenge to that, of course, that we immediately should jump to is how much commonality do we need, though, like in the in the congregational setting or in a denominational setting for that to actually be a constructive correction back and forth. And that's part of what I think we're we're struggling with in the CRC, right? Do we have enough commonality? Do we have enough um, that we can benefit from each other's varying perspectives? Um, that, and that's a challenge because we find that we dig deeper and we have some base level um, differences that are not necessarily expressing themselves in healthy ways as we as we try to sort of listen to each other not so well yeah yeah i agree actually it's kind of funny i was just you know I, I told you guys i just got back from a run before this interview and i was listening to a guy talk about negotiations and trying to you know you, you know no negotiation it's cliche but you're looking for a win-win right looking for kind of what what's going to work best for both parties but he also was saying like there's some times where you enter into a negotiation and you realize it's you're never going to come to a win-win because you're both just looking for completely different things and the whole time I was listening to him talk about that I thought this is where we're at in the CRC that that we're our, our, I think and you can correct me if I'm wrong but I'm just feeling that tension in the CRC right now where where we've got like two groups that are that are wanting such different things that there is no there's no place of compromise in the middle there is no like win-win agreement in the middle where we're both going to get what we want and so we're we're in this tough spot where we've diverged so much where we can't find that commonality to actually have productive helpful congregation uh, conversations about how to move forward yeah i would agree and i, th I think that's I think it's driven home by some of the reaction I've seen out of um, certain corners co coming out of Synod. Um, you know, I, I I saw a lot different in Synod, and I'm just one guy, um, and I was on the side that you could say prevailed, which I don't even like to use that word, but for better or worse, let's say that let's use that word. And so my perspective is colored by that, admittedly, but some of the the descriptions of what went on there just baffle me. I mean, uh, and uh, so one of the things that drives home to me is that we are so far apart in certain corners, not everybody, but in certain corners that it's really hard for me to imagine a um, a reconciliation there to, to put it in biblical terms uh, i just don't i don't see it and and as many have pointed out and but we need to keep pointing out it's fundamentally how we read and approach scripture that's what's getting us at, at fundamentally different places the more and more i read voices that i disagree with that i'm still trying to learn from on the progressive side of things the more and more i recognize that their philo their theology and philosophy of scripture is so different that's all we have for this week stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with eric van dyken but until then don't forget this is christ church and he bought it with his blood and we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock so keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine reach the word in season and out of season and keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation